Chapter Twenty Two of the Golden Silence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading done by Jules Harlock of Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. The Golden Silence by Alice Muriel and Charles Norris Williamson. Chapter Twenty Two. An elderly man with a reddish beard got up from the row of men grouped behind the musicians and muttered to one of the youths who had been making the powder speak. They argued for a moment, and then the boy, handing his gun to the elder man, walked with dignity to a closed gate, large enough to let in goats and donkeys pertaining to the two houses. This gate he opened halfway, standing in the aperture and looking up sullenly as the Romeus came down the narrow, slippery track which led to it. Siba il Kahir ia Sidi. Good day, sir, said Neville, agreeably in his best Arabic. Ta Rafi el Ria. Do you speak Arabic? The young man bowed, not yet conciliated. Ah, men siba jit ihina ia sidi. Why have you come here, sir? He asked suspiciously in very guttural Arabic. Relieved to find that they would have no difficulty in understanding each other, Neville plunged into explanations, pointing to Josette's card. They had come recommended by the Malima at Tlemcen. They brought good wishes and a present to the bride of the village, the virtuous and beautiful Mooney, from whom they would gladly receive information concerning a European lady. Was this the house of her father? Would they be permitted to speak with her and give this little watch from Algiers? Neville made his climax by opening the velvet case, and the brown eyes of the Kabyle boy flashed with uncontrollable admiration. Though his face remained immobile, he answered that this was indeed the house of Mooney's father, and he himself was the brother of Mooney. This was the last day of her wedding feast, and in an hour she would go to the home of her husband. The consent of the latter, as well as of her father, must be asked before strangers could hope to speak with her. Nevertheless, the Romeas were welcome to enter the yard and watch the entertainment while Mooney's brother consulted with those most concerned in this business. The boy stood aside, inviting them to pass through the gate, and the Englishmen availed themselves of his courtesy waiting just inside until the red-bearded man came forward. He and his son consulted together, and then a dark young man in a white burnoose was called to join the conclave. He was a handsome fellow, with a haughtily intelligent face, and an air of breeding superior to the others. This is my sister's husband. He too speaks Arabic, but my father not so much. The boy introduced his brother-in-law, Miss Saad ben Arzin, is the son of our Sayyid. He spoke proudly. Will you tell him and my father what your business is with Mooney? Neville broke into more explanations, and evidently they were satisfactory. 
for while the dancing and the powder play were stopped and the squatting ranks of guests stared silently the two romias were conducted into the house it was larger than most of the houses in the village but apart from the stable of animals through which the visitors passed there was but one room long and narrow lighted by two small windows the darkest corner was the bedroom which had a platform of stone on which rugs were spread and there was a lower mound of dried mud roughly curtained off from the rest with two or three red and blue futahs suspended on ropes made of twisted alpha or dried grass toward the farther end a hole in the floor was the family cooking place and behind it an elevation of beaten earth made a wide shelf for a long row of jars shaped like the roman amphorae of two thousand years ago pegs driven into one of the walls were hung with ganduras and a futah or two and of furniture worthy of that name in the eyes of europeans there was none at the bedroom end of the room several women were gathered round a central object of interest and though the light was dim after the vivid sunshine outside the visitors guessed that the object of interest was the bride decorously they paused near the door while a great deal of arguing went on in which the shriller voices of women mingled with the guttural tones of the men neville could catch no word for they were talking their own cabile tongue which had come down from their forefathers the berbers lords of the land long years before the arabs drove them into the high mountains but at the last the group opened and a young woman stepped out with half-shied eagerness she was loaded with jewels and her futah was barbarically splendid in colour but she was almost as fair as her father a slim creature with grey eyes and brown curly hair that showed under her orange foulard proud of her french she began speaking in that language welcoming the guests telling them how glad she was to see friends of her dear mademoiselle soubaise but soon she must be gone to her husband's house and already the dark young bridegroom son of the siade was growing impatient there was no time to be lost if they were to learn anything of ben halim's wife as a preface to what they wished to ask neville made a presentation speech placing the velvet watch-case in mooney's hand and she opened it with a kind of moan expressing intense rapture never had she seen anything so beautiful and she would cheerfully have recalled every phase of her career from earliest babyhood if by doing so she could have pleased the givers but yes she answered to neville's first questions the beautiful lady whom i served was the wife of sidi kasim ben halim at first it was in algiers that i lived with her but soon we left and went to the country far oh very far away going towards the south the house was like a large farmhouse and to me as a child for i was but a child it seemed fine and grand yet my lady was not pleased she found it rough and different from any place to which she was used poor beautiful lady she was not happy there 
she cried a great deal and each day i thought she grew paler than the day before mooney spoke in french hesitating now and then for a word or putting in two or three in arabic before she stopped to think as she grew interested in her subject stephen understood almost all she said and was too impatient to leave the catechizing to neville whereabouts was this farmhouse he asked can't you tell us how to find it mooney searched her memory i was not yet thirteen she said it is nine years since i left that place and i travelled in a shut-up carriage with a cousin older than i who had been already in the house of the lady when i came she told her mistress of me and i was sent for because i was quick and lively in my ways and white of face almost as white as the beautiful lady herself my work was to wait on the mistress and help my cousin who was her maid yamina that was my cousin's name could have told you more about the place in the country than i for she was even then a woman but she died a few months after we both left the beautiful lady we left because the master thought my cousin carried a letter for her mistress which he did not wish sent and he gave orders that we should no longer live under his roof surely you can remember where you went and how you went on leaving the farmhouse stephen persisted oh yes we went to algiers but it was a long distance and took us many days because we had only a little money and yamina would not spend it in buying tickets for the diligence all the way we walked many miles and only took a diligence when i cried and was too tired to move a step farther at night we drove sometimes i remember and often we rested under the tents of nomads who were kind to us while i was with the lady i never went outside the great courtyard it is not strange that now after all these years i cannot tell you more clearly where the house was but it was a great white house on a hill and round it was a high wall with towers that overlooked the country beneath and in those towers which were on either side of the big wide gate were little windows through which men could spy or even shoot if they chose did you ever hear the name of any town that was near stephen went on i do not think there was a town near yet there was a village not far off to the south i saw it from the hilltop both as i went in at the gate with my cousin and when months later i was sent away with her we did not pass through it because our road was to and from the north and i do not even know the name of the village but there was a cemetery outside it where some of the master's ancestors and relations were buried i heard my lady speak of it one day when she cried because she feared to die and be laid there without ever again seeing her own country and her own people oh and once i heard yamina talk with another servant about an oasis called bosada it was not near yet i think it could be reached by diligence in a long day good broke in neville there's our first real clue bosada i know well when people who come and visit me want a glimpse of the desert in a hurry bosada is where i take them one motors there from algiers in seven or eight hours 
through mountains at first then on the fringe of the desert but it's true as mooney says going by diligence and walking now and then it would be a journey of days her description of the house on the hill looking down over a village and cemetery will be a big help and ben halim's name is sure to be known in the country round if he ever lived there he may have been gone for years said stephen and if there's a conspiracy of silence in algiers why not elsewhere well at least we've got a clue and we'll follow it up for all we know by jove this is giving me a new interest in life and neville rubbed his hands in a boyish way he had tell us what the beautiful lady was like he went on to mooney her skin was like the snow on our mountain tops when the sunrise paints the white with rose answered mooney her hair was redder than the red of henna and when it was unfastened it hung down below her waist her eyes were dark as night without moon and her teeth were little little pearls yet for all her beauty she was not happy she wasted the flower of her youth in sadness and though the master was noble and splendid as the sun to look upon i think she had no love to give him perhaps because he was grave and seldom smiled or because she was a romia and could not suit herself to the ways of true believers did she keep her own religion asked stephen that i cannot tell i was too young to understand she never talked of such things before me but she kept to none of our customs that i know in the three months i served her never did she leave the house not even to visit the cemetery on a friday as perhaps the master would have allowed her to do if she had wished do you remember if she spoke of a sister she had a photograph of a little girl whose picture looked like herself once she told me it was her sister but the next day the photograph was gone from its place and i never saw it again yamina thought the master was jealous because our lady looked at it a great deal was there any other lady in that house neville ventured or was yours the master's only wife there was no other lady at that time mooney replied promptly so far so good said neville well legs i don't think there's any doubt we've got hold of the right end of the stick now mooney's beautiful lady and miss ray's sister sadie are certainly one and the same oh for the white farmhouse on the hill must we go back to algiers or can we get to bosada from here stephen asked neville laughed you are in a hurry oh we can get there from here all right would you like to start now stephen's face reddened why not if we found out all we can from this girl he tried to speak indifferently neville laughed again very well there's nothing left then except to say good-bye to the fair bride and her relations he had expected to get back to algiers that night slipping away from the high passes of grand kabylia before dusk and reaching home late by lamplight but now the plan was changed they were not to see algiers again until stephen had made acquaintance with the desert by setting off at once they might arrive at bosada some time in the dark hours and neville upset his old arrangements with good grace why should he mind he asked 
when Stephen apologized shamefacedly for his impatience. Bosada was as good a place as any, except Clemson, and this adventure would give him an excuse for a letter, even two letters, to Josette Sobeys. She would want to hear about Mooney's wedding and the stately Kabyle home which they had visited. Besides, she would be curious to know whether they found the white farmhouse on the hill, and if so, what they learned there of the beautiful lady and her mysterious fate. Oh, yes, it would certainly mean two letters at least, one from Bosada, one after the search for the farmhouse, and Neville thought himself in luck, for he was not allowed to write often to Josette. After Michelette, the road, a mere shelf projecting along a precipice, slants upward on its way to the Col de Terruda, sharp as a knife aimed at the heart of the mountains. From far below, clouds boil up as if the valley smoked after a destroying fire, and through flying mists flush the ruddy earth, turning the white film to pinkish gauze. Crimson and purple stones shine like uncut jewels, and cascades of yellow gorsk under red flowering trees poured down over the low-growing white flowers which embroidered the rose-colored rocks. Then, suddenly, gone is the green Kabyle mountain world, gone like a dream the tangle of ridges and chasms, the bright tapestry of fig trees and silver olives, dark carubias, the wild locusts of John the Baptist, and climbing roses. Rough, coarse grass has eaten up the flowers, or winds sweeping down from the coal have killed them. Only a few stunted trees bend grotesquely to peer over the sheer sides of the shadowed gorges as the road strains up and up, twisting like a scar left by a whiplash on the naked brown shoulders of a slave. So at last it flings a loop over the Col de Tiruda. Then, round a corner, the wand of an invisible magician waves. Darkness and winter cold becomes summer warmth and light. This light was the level golden glory of late afternoon when Stephen saw it from Neville's car, and so green were the wide-stretching meadows and shining rivers far below that he seemed to be looking at them through an emerald, as Nero used to gaze at his gardens in Rome. Down the motor plunged towards the light, threading back and forth a network of zigzags, until long before sunset they were in the warm lowlands, racing towards Bordich Bow, Arerij, and Massilla. Beyond Massilla, they would follow the desert track which would bring them by and by to the oasis town of Bosada. If Stephen had been a tourist, guidebook in hand, he would have delighted in the stony road among the mountains between Borjbo, Aridij, and Messila. But it was the future, not the past, which held his thoughts today, and he had no more than a passing glance for ruined mosques and palaces. It was only after nightfall, far beyond the town of Messila, far beyond the vast plains of Hodna, that his first dim glimpse of the desert thrilled him out of self-absorption. 
even under the stars which crusted a moonless sky the vast stretches of billowing sand glimmered faintly golden as a phosphorescent sea and among the dimly gleaming waves of that endless waste the motor tossed rocking on the rough track like a small boat in mid-ocean nowhere was there any sound except the throbbing of their machinery and a fairy fiddling of unseen crickets which seemed to make the silence more intense under the great sparkling dome that hung over the gold now i'm in the place where she wished to be the golden silence stephen said to himself and he found himself listening as if for the call victoria had promised to give if she needed him End of chapter 22